Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Welcome to In a Mississippi Minute today. I'm like a child on a sugar buzz because when I talk about honest Mississippi artists and genuine talent from our Delta with a multitude of awards and accomplishments to go around, I think of today's guest. She is a best-selling author multiple times and has served as editor or a writer for basically every successful magazine that is laid upon your coffee table, including Newsweek, Vogue, The Wall Street Journal, El Decor, and Garden and Gun. Her style is her own, and I've got her for an entire Mississippi Minute. Please say, hey, 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 to Miss Julia Reed. Hello, Julia. Well, it's a good thing you can't see me on the radio because you're making me blush. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to be with you, who is the best ambassador the Delta could have. So I'm in, I'm in second place. Company. I'm in second place, but I don't mind it to you. <laughs> hey, so let's go back. Your passion for it. Was it stem from one of your folks, both? I mean, because you, you do have... You and I both had enough time growing up in the Delta where we know if you stay around and you're creative, it's in the alluvian soul. It's going to seep in and do its thing. But when did you sort of know you wanted to be a writer, an author? Pretty early on, I think, because, you know, and I said this in a speech yesterday when somebody asked me how I sort of, you know, close to the same question. You know, I said being a writer in Greenville was like being a plumber. I mean, it was not exactly an... Uh, exotic thing. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a writer, and that seemed like a you know impossible dream. Everybody I knew practically was a writer. I mean, my next-door neighbors were Byrne and Frankie Keating, uh, and they were journalists. And I, you know, when I was a kid, they worked, Byrne worked mostly for National Geographic, but uh, Frankie took pictures, and he wrote, and he took pictures, too. And they traveled all over the world. I mean, I had the best show and tells as a kid, you can imagine. You know, they'd right. go off to <laughs> Africa, or they'd go... Byrne was on the first voyage through the Northwest Passage on the USS Manhattan. I mean, it was like all this really dramatic, exciting stuff when I was like eight and nine years old. And, um, you know, I think everybody in the Delta, because uh, we're such a great melting pot and we're on the river, um, I think everybody that grows up there is aware of the wider world outside. It's not like you're living in some small town in the middle of nowhere in the deep south and, you know, you're only introduced to ideas through books. I mean, like... People traveled all the time. People were part of the outside world. I mean, I remember Morris Lewis 
uh, who's a grocer from Indianola, being on Nixon's first trade mission to China. <laughs> the reason I remember it because when he came back, he told Henry Wong, who was the owner of the late great Hal Joy, that oh, yeah. uh, that he'd been all the way to China and he still hadn't had Chinese food as good as Henry. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but know. you know that's a joke. But I mean, you know, I think I think I'm sure you'd agree that we were all aware of a wider world, and it didn't seem like some impossible dream to get out. You know what I mean? It's not like we were held hostage in this podunk town, because it was a cool, sophisticated place. It was. It and, still um, is, yeah. And so, you know, and it, the paper, you know, had won a Pulitzer Prize. Hotting Carter the third was editing it when I was a kid, after his father died, and he and my family uh, were really super close friends. My first byline was writing a review of Vern Keating's young adult book on some explorer or another, <laughs> I can't remember now, for Hotting. So, wow. you know, I was 14. So uh, that, that just seemed like a normal kind of segue. I mean, you know, I, I was obsessed with the Walker Percy. My father made me start reading him when I was too young probably to get it. But, um, you know, another local author. And uh, it just it just happened that way. Brody Crump, who used to uh, write this column called Mostly Old Stuff uh, for the Delta Democrat Times, was another family friend. I mean, I was like, you know, it was sort of like the social column, and my birthday parties were always in it, so I felt very um, grand indeed. So that's, you know, it was just like a normal thing. My father uh, was involved in politics, and a lot of national reporters would come down to kind of report on the end of the segregated one-party system. You know, the, you know, the, sort of the, the Democrats were one big... Uh, racist party in those days, and and Hiding and Daddy helped build a real two party system, and so there was a lot of national press and national attention. So I, I would hang out with those guys when I was a kid and just think they were the coolest thing. I wanted to be them. We're talking to Julia Reed, author, editor, writer, anything to do with words, and she's my guest down in the Mississippi Minute. Julia, look, okay, you, so you grow up in Greenville, you're doing the boarding school thing, you go off to Georgetown. You've already got this vast array of experience, um, and you're talking Newsweek as a high school kid or college kid? Yeah, no, I started as an intern as a, as a part of a weekly program that they had in my school, at boarding school. And I really lucked out because, as we deep Southerners know, especially in a town like Greenville, um, the root of all things good are eccentric old ladies. And so there was an eccentric old lady running the library in Newsweek's Washington Bureau, and um, she hadn't had any company that wanted to hear her stories in a really long time. So, man, and also, I was a really good newspaper clipper. In those days, you had to, to read about a million newspapers, clip them all, figure out what to call them, because there was no, you know, Google search. <laughs> we were the actual library, so if a reporter wanted to know something, they had to come in and go to a file folder of newspaper articles that we had clipped, and um, they were way behind when I started, and I brought them up to date. So she was very sad to lose her um, her best listener and her best I newspaper clipper. <laughs> so she got the bureau chief to give me a job if I had applied to a college in Washington, and thank God I did. And then the next best thing was a crazy old lady, my former headmistress at Madeira, shot her boyfriend, the inventor of the Scarsdale diet, Dr. Herman Tarnauer. <laughs> there have been books written about this, TV movies. Anyway, that was my first byline for Newsweek. They sent me out there after this happened, and I got in past the guard because he knew me when the whole place was in lockdown. And that was my first story. So I'm sorry that Dr. Tarnauer had to die for my career, but, you know, what the heck? Gene Harris was crazy, and she shot him. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about inspiration, because I still, I still want to ask you a few more questions about college days, Georgetown, all that. But with me as a songwriter, it was always 
in the front of my mind or I'd push it aside to the back or sideways, whatever. But it always sort of leaked out a little bit. Even when I was trying to be as commercial as I could be in mainstream, I always had this place was always sort of around, you know? And so when you're, when you wrote, okay, articles are one thing, I guess, or, or whatever, but do you feel like there was a style that was developed by at least being here enough that it sort of gave you something? And did you ever draw from it a lot or a little? I'm sure I did, even without knowing it in the early days. I mean, you know, straight journalism, if I'm profiling like somebody, it's hard to sort of, you know, you don't you don't have too many moments of poetic inspiration when you're profiling, say, John Kerry or Bill Clinton or whatever. But uh, but I do think, but covering Southern politicians, I certainly got a, had great insight into the ways that right. they work. So that was one thing that helped me as a journalist. But... Yeah, I mean, as far as just a style and and how I drew on uh, what the Delta gave me, I mean, I'm it's about pores. I mean, I can't even separate it out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way in a way. And now I write, you know, in my columns for Garden and Gun, you know, it's basically a sort of storytelling column, and all of my stories end up coming back to the Delta. I mean, I just published a yeah. uh, a, a collection of of. Uh, you know, essays, my columns for in Gardening Gun called South Toward Home, which is an apt title to play on Willie Morris's North Toward Home. But anyway, I, if you flip through there, about half of them mention Greenville or about Greenville or the Delta. Um, the other thing is, I mean, even when I was writing a food column for the New York Times Magazine in the 90s, uh, it was a period when iceberg lettuce was making a comeback. Don't ask me. Anyway, people had discovered, you know, cool people had discovered the benefits of like a wedge salad or whatever, which, you know, if you and I had gone to Doe's or Lillo's, the only salad you were going to get was yeah. an iceberg yeah, lettuce Yeah, you didn't get salad. a menu. It so, was no, there was no menu, really. You did, no. This is it. I mean, we weren't going to have some hand-picked field <laughs> greens or whatever, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, I just, I made, you know, in writing that story, I managed about lettuce, and I was interviewing all these uh, chefs and stuff, but I managed to weave in this hilarious story that my father tells me that took place in the parking lot of Lillo's, and it had nothing to do with lettuce, but I got it in there, by God, and I was so proud. So, you know, anecdotes, the sense of humor that, I mean, the Delta has a sense of humor all its own. It's not like an all shucks kind of Jerry Clower. No sense of humor, although I think Jerry Clower is funny as hell. It's much drier. It's, uh, you know, I think it's the reason I feel so at home in, like, Ireland, because you have this sort of dry, Irish, uh, sort of cynical worldview that's not cynical necessarily in a terribly bad way, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's I, all of that I picked up from the Delta, I, for I, sure. I, I mean, so, it. yes, that long, long-winded answer to your no, question. No, I love it. Yeah, We're talking... Delta is in my Sort of, you know, in your DNA, out. it's there. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, we're talking to the wonderful Julia Reed. Uh, I, I think that the uh, the way to cap off this segment is to say this. Uh, I think as we get a little less young, uh, and we <laughs> and and a little more experienced, and we get closer to our mortality, home really starts to become. Uh, it's just it's it's what we paint, and I just I love it because it's so easy now. Uh, because the perspectives and the experiences we had in life just it just all makes sense it adds up to home we're with the great julia reed we're gonna be right back here in a mississippi minute i keep going back to greenville i keep on a going back to greenville 
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I hope it's not too late. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with writer, editor, author, Julia Reed. Uh, Julia, I got to know the difference between, uh, okay, the different hats. So go from writer to uh, editor. The difference between being creative that way versus sort of you become a publisher, basically, right? Uh, and, and when I say publisher, publishers in the music world for me were the people that edited. <laughs> you know, they helped right. us. Right? Yeah, along. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I got to say, I didn't, I didn't. You know, I edited off and on, but mostly every time I was hired as an editor, I would end up as a writer because um, they're like, just cut loose and go on, right. quit editing all these other people, but. Um, and when you call somebody like a contributing editor at a magazine, that's a weird terminology because it, it really means you're a contributing writer. It doesn't make any sense. But I was an editor uh, for a while at Vogue um, before I started writing there full time. And that was super fun because I lo- it's like a puzzle. You know, it's like I'm sure this is the same with the song. You know, who, who's going to interpret your lyrics the best? Uh, with a writer and, an, I mean, with an editor, you sort of think, all right, I need to, I need a piece on this subject. Who would bring magic to it? And you know, I was lucky enough. By the time I got to Vogue, I was in my late twenties, and I knew a lot of writers. And it was so fun to be able to be in a position of power. You know, to be able to call them up and say, "Hey, I'll pay you a bunch of money if you'll yeah. write about yada yada." Um, you know, it was really, it was such a great uh, position to be in. And when it worked, when that magic happened, the combo was perfect. It was just the best feeling. And I'm also, as an editor, you learn to write extremely clean because I can't tell you how proud of myself I was when I was an editor because I get this sloppy crap. And I'm like, really? It'd be like somebody like Gary Wills, who's this great writer. And I'd be like, oh, my God. Uh, You know, you need to have better self-control, dude. Um, (laughs) They, a lot of writers just turn stuff in knowing an editor will work, make some magic. But, uh, you know, and, and, and in a lot of it's super tedious work to make something fit on a layout. And so I'm still super good at cutting without gutting a piece. And right. I, and it made me write. It, it, it's made me such a better writer because you write really tight. You know, you, there's not a lot of gravy. I mean, I get James it. McMurtry, who you just had at the uh, Mighty Mississippi Festival, who's one of, the, I think, the greatest songwriters around now. Yeah, he's wonderful. And all of his songs are stories. You know, they're narratives, a lot of them, and most of them, I think. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, well, no, no. And listen, you just said something, making things tight and clean. You know, when you go, go off to Nashville before we went, I mean, I was, there was, my songs were seven minutes of junk. And you had, yeah, and no, the, I, know, the, I mean, yeah. what he said, one of his songs, which I love, is called You Got To Me. And he said, Great song. That, you know, he, he, it took him like seven years to take away every single superfluous note, <laughs> word, until it was totally perfect. Right. I mean, that's what it is. You waste, But there's so much, you know, and the difficult part is having less words, less time uh, to really be more impactful. I mean, that's the magic. And so that's mm-hmm. what you learn how to do. I get it. We're talking to Miss Julia Reed. Uh, I can't thank you enough for spending an entire Mississippi minute with me because I know it's not easy. But it is my total pleasure. I love it. Kidding? So I guess it's just too bad we're not like at Posca's having. Martinis well, we will. <laughs> we we will be having martinis at Posca's soon. Soon. I, and now that I know that you're gonna have a dress right around the block, I'm very excited. Very excited. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to talk about when your first book. 
Uh, wait, wait, you're talking like, was it like, is like, oh, was it, oh, what? What was it? It was 03, I think. Um, I had, it was called, and that book was called Queen of the Turtle Derby and Other Southern Phenomena. Okay, I got to understand that. I, I just want you to, because your, your whole personality comes out in your writing, but as I've gotten to know you a little bit, uh, each time I see you, it just, it's all one thing to me. And I get it. <laughs> Just when you're having a conversation. So where did the where did your style this? Well, just that was the, the title came from a, you know all these Yankee editors grab onto something that seemed so weird to them and slapped it on a book. Uh, but um, <laughs> Queen, my father is a very funny man, and he uh, you know he he sort of makes fun of the whole concept of like beauty pageants and debutantes and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, he kind of digs it, but he thinks it's ridiculous at the same time. And uh, and he calls these beauty queen types titled women. And um, uh, there was a woman, this is a long story he told me, and I boiled it down in the intro, or one of the pieces in the book, I can't even remember now, it was in the introduction. Uh, he and some buddies were at the Yacht Club, and it was when Greenville was still a big thriving port, and they had the American Waterways Organization uh, annual big, huge convention uh, in Greenville, in town. It was a big deal. And uh, so they were there, and there's this chick there who was like with some one of the guys, and uh, she allowed as how she'd been like the first runner up to Miss Arkansas and Miss Pink Tomato, <laughs> which is a real thing, still goes on in Arkansas also, and uh, Queen of the Turtle Derby, <laughs> which is a thing that happens in a little town uh, near Memphis. Wow. And they have actual turtle races in this town, Lepanto, Arkansas. And of course, when you're having an event like that, you got to have a queen of the event. I mean, heck, we got Miss Hot Tamale and Hot Tamale Queen after all, and I'm proud of those girls myself. So anyway, and so they made her immediately queen of the waterways. And this little child so woman said, "Well, I couldn't possibly be crowned queen, and you know, unless we had a pageant, it just wouldn't be right." And they're like, "Oh, baby, you'd win it anyway." And then they had the problem of what to do with the crown, and she had one in her suitcase. So I just. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that was Daddy's titled women's story. Um, and I, with my signing in Memphis, I had all these former Miss Tur- 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 Turtle Derby queens coming up to me and getting the book. Yeah. <laughs> they so thought again, it was, they thought that's it was an a compliment. Of, you know, a book that, that, that came straight out of my father's mouth oh and my these God. great stories that we hear growing up. Well, if they had trope, if they had their own crowns in their suitcases ready to go, they would have loved this book. <laughs> hey, hey, we're talking to Julia Reed. So, uh, you know, you just made me crack up. A Mississippi minute becomes a New York minute compared to the turtle races. I can promise you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we got I got engaged by accident. I thought I was at Lake Conway, but we got engaged on uh, Lake Toadsuck. So that's uh, that's my story okay. about any I sort even, of... I can't imagine yeah, how that happened. Yeah, but Conway, I Arkansas, you know, it's part of the deal. You're going to have to tell me over the yeah, martinis well, you just promised me. Well, I will. You got that. But it was uh, it was just me being a bad driver in bad direction. Other than that, <laughs> probably wasn't probably wasn't much of that. Julia, so, all right. Uh, okay, so you, how long did you spend in New York? Uh, I had a place there for 20 years, and... Um, uh, I sold it in a brilliant piece of timing. About I, I sold my apartment about two thousand eight, six months before Katrina hit New Orleans. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I had done this. I thought I was going to do this big grown-up thing, like get married, 
buy the big house, renovate the big house, which is just the road to like total ruin. Um, big old, old, old house in a dysfunctional town even before the Katrina tank. So um, that was a hell of a ride, and I got a right. book out of it at least. Not one that made up for the money suck of the house, but never mind. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I was going to be this, you know, sort of grown person with the house and the husband, and, uh, you know, I became chairman of the board of this, this art museum and all this kind of stuff. But I realized um, that I didn't need all that stuff, including the husband, who was a very nice man, but never mind. And um, <laughs> I was happier. I mean, where my heart lied and where I really wanted to do stuff for the community to give back was not in New Orleans, even though I, you know, I, I hope I did make some dent in the civic life there. But uh, where I cared about the most was the Mississippi Delta. And God knows we got enough problems, as you well know, so it's a good place yeah. to come back and try to, to do some good. And that's where I really wanted a house, not some big old statement house in the Garden District. So right. you know, now I live in this great sort of duplex apartment in the Garden District that's, that's uh up in the trees, and it reminds me of my New York apartment in a good way. And uh, it's very unlike New Orleans, but it's a beautiful setting. And, you know, I'm going to have this little house in the Delta across from a cow pasture where I used to keep my horse as a child. So it really is coming almost literally home. Yeah. Behind This lot is a sliver of a lot behind my parents' old house. And that's where my heart always was. And, you know, as you said, when you get to our age or, you know, not not quite as young as we used to be, mm-hmm. uh, you start really realizing what's important to you and what makes your soul feel whole. And, you know, just all your sort of, uh, you know, your synapses are firing and all the mm-hmm. right cylinders and stuff. And and that's that's what this means to me. I love that. And so there was no reason to stay in exile. I mean, who the heck was I? Like some, you know, war criminal? No. I mean, I could just come yeah. on home. <laughs> I, I just I just love that. Just come on home. Well, we did it. And it was a little scary at first, but uh, it took a second of adjusting. Uh, you know, agents, managers, like, well, have you lost your mind? I said, no, I found it, man. I found my mind. Yeah, and also in today's world, I mean, like, you and I both had to go, as Willie Morris wrote, north toward home, north to get a a career and make your name for yourself. You had to go to the big city, right? If you're you're a writer, you had to be in Washington or New York. And if you're a musician, you had to be in Nashville or L.A. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and so we both did that. And, but now once you make a name for yourself, you can do what you do almost anywhere in the world. No, I think you do it better too. Because digital empire that we live in. I know, and I want to talk to you about how it's affected your world versus my world. But we're, we're talking to Julia Reed before we go to break. I won't, I won't, Get, make it so difficult we are the birthplace of american music and we love to celebrate it so you get to play disc jockey and you get to choose one now i thought about really making it like just putting you through it and and giving you three choices of brent sisters but i'm not gonna do that that would be horrible so i'm gonna give you a choice between muddy waters and ike turner oh god i guess for me muddy for sure okay there we go and, is there, right. there a reason? Let's don't even talk about it. Let's just go with no, it. No, no, let's just do it. Good. There you go. There you go. We're Julia Reed here in Mississippi Minute. Play some muddy. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It was at the end of Indianola 
I'm Steve Azar. We're with Arthur, editor. I mean, everything to do with cool words that you've read. Or if you hadn't read, you're going to read it after this show. Julia Reed. Uh, we're, we're getting her back, and we're excited. Uh, Travel the World, written about it. Uh, and like I said, every every magazine that's laid upon your parents' table, your table, she probably had something to do with it. And it's just so cool to have you back. J- Julia, um, I want to talk about the economics now versus with digital versus, you know, our uh, economics musically, it's yeah. uh, songwriting is painful. But, yeah. but how, how has it affected you guys, print versus? Well, I mean, I, so many of the magazines I used to write for don't exist anymore. Um, you know, and I, I started out writing at Newsweek when... Now Newsweek is an entirely digital thing. It was bought for two dollars. Um, oh my uh, gosh! Uh, it it you know they took over the they paid everybody's pension and that was about what was left. And uh, um, but when it's when it was you know it was like you know time in Newsweek for where everybody got their information and the Washington Bureau of Newsweek, uh, which Catherine Graham owned both the Washington Post and Newsweek, and it was a great newspaper empire and. Uh, the Washington Bureau of Newsweek had like something like forty-five people in it. There, it, it, all of Time Magazine is not made up of a third of that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, so and it's a wonder to me that it still exists. I mean, I just wrote about the Delta in it, so I'm glad it does. But, um, but you know, I worked for Southern Accents briefly. Gone. Um, Hearst just closed down a bunch of titles and fired half its staff. All of Hearst magazines. I mean, you're talking about like the empire of William Randolph Hearst, who was the great, you know. But Julia, survivor. I know. But can I ask you something though? You still need content. So where, where is uh, okay. So where is the jobs not? Why are the jobs not available? I understand as a songwriter, but but why not? Uh, well, people are taking their news from fewer places for one thing. Okay. Um, that answers that. And uh, you know, and you got a lot of free content, which is you know mostly BS. I mean, you know. I, I don't read a lot of blogs because I don't really, I don't care what a lot of these guys have to say. A lot right. of blogs right. are exercises in self-indulgence to me. Um, you know, there's some good websites, so a lot of my friends uh, have gone off to them. I, You know, so my decision was to quit. I don't cover the news anymore. You know, I don't cover politics, which, as it happens, turned out to be good because I wouldn't want to be covering politics in today's age. It's such oh, a so crazy. It's so wild now. right now. Yeah, it's just not something I want to be covering. So I, I write books mostly now, and I still write for the Wall Street Journal. God bless Rupert Murdoch's heart. As long as he's alive, there'll be a print version of that. And um, and I write for Guardian Gun, which, because it's uh, it's it's got such an authentic point of view, and it's such a beautifully photographed and printed magazine, that it's on the rise. I mean, unlike other magazines, its circulation and newsstand sales are going up. Uh, I think people still want, something beautiful to hold in their hands with good content you know i mean i still write a column for them and i write long pieces for them at least every other issue and that's a joy to have but you know you have to take your career in your own hands so i write books mostly and i cover things like that i things that i used to do as a sideline like when i wrote the new york times magazine's food column that was just fun for me that was like a little side venture God, I wish I had that money back now but um, (laughs) uh you know so now i write about i mean i you know i write i've written three food books, one a full-fledged cookbook with pictures and the whole thing, and I've got another one coming out in April called Julia Reed's New Orleans. And uh, uh, it's, you know, so that's what I'm doing. And it's all this, it's kind of, again, it's kind of like coming home. I'm drawing on all the lessons of 
cooking and food and entertaining that I learned from my mother and all her friends as a child, and now that's kind of what I do. So it's, I mean, I'm still, you know, probably still got another quote-unquote real book in me, but that's what's been fun to do in the last couple of years. Let's talk about Julia Reed's New Orleans because it's coming, right? Yeah, it's coming out in April. In April. Okay, so me can you give us a little bit of insight without giving away uh oh sure well i mean it's not like a thriller i can give away the whole damn thing (laughs) (laughs) i did a book my first you know honest to god cookbook with recipes and pictures and the whole thing was julia reed south and about half of that was shot in the delta and it was um i think we had 11 chapters and each chapter was a real party that we gave you know like i did a duck dinner at the baby doll house i did a dove hunt breakfast at the highland club we had a party on the sandbar (laughs) um the cover was a eight-course tomato dinner I did at a friend of mine's farm in Tennessee. So we had real parties and real recipes, and I told the stories of the gatherings and stuff. And um, it was like this epic road trip through the South in in all of my spiritual homes. And so Julie Reed's New Orleans, I had a New Orleans chapter in there at my friend of mine's courtyard in in, uh, New Orleans, and uh, we did a Creole dinner. But this one said so the publishers are like, let's just do an all New Orleans book because you've been there a long time. And all my friends, my closest friends in New Orleans, aside from the girls I grew up with in the Delta that live there, are chefs. Like Donald Link is a great chef. He's from there. Mason Hereford um, of Turkey and the Wolf. I mean, um, so, and all these guys, uh, Kristen Essig from Coquette, all these guys come and cook for the Tamale Festival out of the goodness of their hearts for free. Yeah. They don't eat food. They do everything. So. Uh, these guys, you know, we're, and I, I, I'm on the board of Donald Link's Foundation, which uh, is gives a lot of money toward early childhood education and stuff like that. So, you know, we do favors for each other. So we're all like one big happy family anyway, so it's an easy book to do. I mean, I did an Italian dinner with Donald Link and his chef that's going to start a new Italian restaurant that comes, opens at the same time the book comes out. I did um, a chapter I, I, in my head I called the better than Galatoire's dinner because I love going to Galatoire's. It's super fun, but the food could be about three times as good. Uh, <laughs> so I made my version of like those old-fashioned restaurant dinners um, with, you know, bribe-on potatoes. And, because uh, Galatoire's was like on their own back in the day, and now there's all this competition. I mean, it's like... No, uh, I know. I mean, you used to go, if you went to New Orleans, you go to like Antoine's, Arno's, Galatoire's, Commander's Palace. That was right. it. And now there are all these fabulous chefs there. So, you know, we did uh, obviously, I did a Mardi Gras brunch chapter because I always give a Mardi Gras brunch because everybody is in need of a milk punch and some restorative food after they've been tying one on for days yeah, on end. Yeah. Um, it has playlists. It has uh, there's a chapter called the classics that has like all the classic food from uh, Creole cuisine, but also uh, like these new crazy chefs and their iconic sandwiches that they've. Built. I mean, it's, it's got lots of components. There's three or four playlists I think in there. Every chapter has, like, a soundtrack for the cook, too. I love that. Yeah, no, you're going to dig the music aspect for sure. Well, here's a... So, so to me... See, I love hearing this. Chefs... Uh, okay, first of all, they're the new rock star. I've, I've interviewed quite a bit of chefs on my shows. Yeah, my no, first that's one. like, you know... Yeah, it's true. They are rock stars. In today's well, there's, there's a while... There, I, I, I know there's... There's got to be some sort of box that they have to sort of semi-live in with ingredients and all that, but there's there's just so much create... Uh, there's so much an ability to be creative versus having a genre. You know what I mean? Like right. they're they're yeah. they're they're melding all of these genres of yeah, food I mean, together. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about, chefs used to be. I mean, in New Orleans, if you wanted to open up a new restaurant, you just do another version of Creole food. Um, and then K. Paul came, Paul Prudhomme, the late great, came and introduced Cajun cooking to Creoles in New Orleans, and kind of fused the two together. 
And uh, that was an awesome thing. And Don Link opened up Herb Saint, which is still his flagship restaurant, and started reinterpreting really from the ground up his notion of what Creole food was like. And then the next restaurant he opened uh, was Cochon, because he's, you know, he so comes good. from Asian roots. And it, but it's, it's not just, you know, a bunch of Buddha on a plate uh, or duck etouffee or something like Cajun would make. It's incredibly sophisticated and so well thought out, and it's, it's a take on Cajun cuisine. It's so marvelous, you can't even believe it. So that's what's kind of happening now. And, uh, I mean, and, and Creole cuisine has always been such a great melting pot anyway. I mean, it started out with French and African-American cooking, and then, you know, you had uh, the Cajuns got in on the act. And uh, now, now we have all this Mexican influence in the cuisine because after Katrina there were so many, thank God, Mexican migrant workers that came up there. Right. So, you know, now you go to a restaurant, you get stuff like a Satsuma margarita, <laughs> which, yeah. I, which I put in the book because I love them so much. <laughs> I've got to have one. I see, I have to have one of those. I haven't I'll had make one. one. <laughs> I love that. You will. I love we're talking to Julia Reed. Oh, Julia, okay, let's dig back a, a touch. Your latest book, South Toward Home. Right. Uh, when did, it just came out when? Uh, it came out in, in like the last day of July, I think. So I love that you can summer. remember that. That's good. It's not so far back. We're all right. We're all right. Okay, so tell <laughs> me the the... Uh, inspiration behind that? I know that's a satirical well, it's, question, it's but that's it. my favorite kind of book to do because it's a collection of pieces I've already written. <laughs> I love it. So you're piecing, I've made a record like that where I pieced stuff that was already sort of done. Yeah. No, these are all my gardening gun columns and people request them so much from the magazine and stuff and I thought, well, hell, I'm just going to give it to them in a volume. I mean, uh, gardening gun has been, like I said, a great godsend to Southern writers and giving us all a home. My good friend Roy Blunt, who comes to Tamale Festival most years, has a column on the back page, and um, uh, so it's and I, you know, I, I sort of revamped some of the columns, updated them a little bit, said some of the stuff I couldn't say in a nice magazine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, John Meacham wrote a really sweet, sweet introduction, which I was really grateful for. And I wrote an intro, he wrote a, and I wrote a, you know, an introduction of my own. And so it's been fun to relive a lot of those columns and, you know, you have to go through them to kind of sort them out and edit where they're going to go and, uh, you know, to categorize them, which was hard in some cases. I have one chapter just called fun. Because, <laughs> and that's where a lot of the Delta stuff is, I got to say. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole, there's a section called fun. There's a section called like critters. You know, because we shoot them and eat them a lot. And, uh, yeah, we do. And uh, so good. So I, I, you know, I looked back and I realized I'd written about an alligator hunt and a boar hunt and all kind of crazy stuff like that. So that's all in there. We're with the great Julia Reed. We're going to be right back here in the Mississippi Minute. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with writer, editor, author, Julia Reed. I, I've said it so much, and my listeners are, are probably going to go, okay, okay, you've said it a lot, but I can't help it because this is the part of the mystery to me. We've traveled all over, but there's a. have you ever met an area this condensed? 
and and so rich small. with great character. No. Yeah, ever, ever. <laughs> uh uh-uh. No, I mean I you know I say this all the time. I mean I lived for I had a place in New York for twenty years. I lived in Washington, you know, and had a front and I'd gone there lots with my father and had a front row to political dramas. Uh, you know, from the uh, very early age, front row seat, and I lived for a time. Hell, I even worked for a newspaper in Central Florida. I've lived all over the place. I spent like three summers in England. Um, uh, so I've been everywhere. And I'm telling you, the Greenville that I grew up in, especially when downtown was still thriving, and we're working on that, as you know, um, bringing that back. Yeah, I've you know I've never lived in a more cosmopolitan place. And like I said, I think it's because of the mix of cultures. Mm-hmm. And nationalities, and the fact that we were on the river, and you had these great characters coming up and down and in and out, and we had a Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper. I mean, and so, like, all these really cool people, like, right out of Columbia Journalism School, where do they want to work on a newspaper? For Hiding Carter at the Dallas Democrat. That's Times. the had coolest all thing. these really cool people coming in and, uh, I, you know, and adding to the mix. And it was just, a, it's, it still is a hotbed of, of, creativity i think and and you got young people moving back i mean my good friend Humphreys mcgee like the fourth i think he is is a lawyer he could he could he could he could, he could live anywhere and he just bought a place in wilson park yeah i know he's at the golf course all the time now he's a really yeah, yeah, good player yeah. really good player <laughs> I think that's the added benefit of working yeah in yeah no tea time just show up and he, he's <laughs> got a group of retirees that he's always playing with now i told yeah. him <laughs> but you know i mean it's a good lifestyle honey as you no know. it's all look i love it you kidding me there's no the fact that you don't have to call and get a tea time, you show up and everybody's going, what are you doing? Let's go. And we go. have great, you know, and every day there's new restaurants opening up. You know, you've got yeah. two, three different downtown places that popped up in the last year. The, the you know, Mighty Miss uh, Brewery, and you got the downtown grill, and that bartender is just awesome. And oh, he's really good. He is. You know, and I'm working on a door to it. Yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm working on a concert series actually at the butcher shop Mercantile where we're going to start bringing in hit songwriters to do a deal. We're going to do dinner, and I'll talk to you about all that. That's a great idea. We're, you know, no, six I mean, times I, a year. And I you think know. that more events like that we can create. I mean, it, my deal has always been: if you build it, they will come. Um, every time I do an event or anything in Greenville, even when my friends would come and sign books at McCormick's and I would make them come to Greenville and Hugh, you know, I think he was pretty tired of running the bookstore toward the end. He's like, nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to buy this expensive book. Everybody always came and had a blast. I mean, whatever you offer folks, the more restaurants, the better. I mean, I really do think that the sort of the, the, the expansion that's going on in Greenville right now is, is feeding off itself, and it's it's creating some good kind of magic, and you've been such a part of that. Well, it's been a thrill because I get a kick out of watching my friends who live in the places that you've lived and that and around these wonderful exotic, you know, uh, resorts and, and big cities, and they come to the Delta and our events three days, and some of them stay 10. 10. Oh, I know. I mean, I thought I was going to have to, like – yeah. pack up some of these hot tamale fest goers <laughs> in a trunk and ship them off. I was never going to get rid of them. And there was this one chef, the new chef at Herb Saint, is just upset. He was obsessed. He kept raising, you know, making toast to Greenville every five minutes. He yeah, yeah, they're freaked out. Well, you know, I think the character thing I'm thinking, you know, like you go to New York, there's that character that's, that you see that, you know, that drops the, you know, the four-letter word down a lot. But they are all the same characters. With us, yep. you've got this just nobody's the same, which is makes it so 
unbelievably just uh it's just amazing to be around it and it's just always like you're in you're inside a movie is the only way i can explain it inside a, a really song inside an article complicated movie yeah but. very complicated <laughs> very very complicated we're talking to julia reed you're in the mississippi minute we're having a blast uh julia okay so at garden and gun are you being edited ever when you turn in an article if yeah, you're the well editor? not much because like i said at this point in my life i'm a damn clean writer plus I'm smart. I, I, I am like a deadline beater. To like, editors want to kill me all the time because I get right on up to the edge of a deadline and go past it, and then they're like, "God dang it, I'm going to kill you." Right. Uh, so they don't have a whole lot of time to mess with me. Uh, there's method to my madness, but no, uh, like you know, I, my editor at Gardening Gun every once in a while will make a super good suggestion. Um, and it's it's always funny because I know he's going to do it, and I'll write what I know he's going to cut anyway, just just for the hell of it, just to, I mean literally just to sort of as an exercise, and then he takes it out, and I'm always grateful. So we're on really the same page, and that is a great uh, that's a great gift to have an editor that you really work well with well, and that's been my case all my life. Uh, Michael Boudreau at Vogue was my editor, and then at the New York Times Magazine, and then at El Decor. So. I followed him everywhere. Um, I just love you know, it. Great line editors are few and far between. I mean, you read a lot of books lately, and you can you kind of get that. It's like, whoa, this is some sloppy stuff. Um, so when 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 something when you're working with a great editor, it's a real gift. I love it. We've been with Julia Reed. Julia, I'm going to let you go build the rest of your house, uh, and, and I'm going I'm <laughs> to let you. I don't get want back. my dog soon. He's going to have a stroke. Well, no, you can walk him on our show. We've got all sorts of crazy people doing crazy things while I interview him. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate you so much. We've been with the wonderful Julia Reed. Uh, she is all things Delta, but Universal, and that's the best way to explain it. You have a great one, Julia. I love you, girl. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Love you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.